，你而家听紧嘅系 Eaton Radio。So this is Colony Kids SOS、yeah.。Um, a bit in conjunction with Pride programming, which we've had this weekend and throughout the last few weeks, concluding this Friday. We've had、uh, we had you for、um, a night curated by Joseph、mm. from Videotage last Friday. If you missed that party, you missed a very good one. <laughs> yeah, but you can actually stream that back at、um, the Eaton Facebook where you're watching this. And I would say also if you're watching this on Instagram,、uh, the Facebook stream is a lot more stable, so you might、yeah. want to change over to there. So yeah, this is Colony Kids SOS where we. Invite partners, artists we admire, and kind of interrogate the artistic process. <sighs> interrogate. And interrogate them in general on everything they've been up to because we've know we know what they've done last summer. <laughs> so yeah, tonight we have Mr. Alex Yu, aka Alex Mullism,、uh, aka、yeah. any more AKAs? No. Well, I prefer not to not. I prefer not using my own my Chinese name. You know. Oh okay. Because I, whenever people try to speak my Chinese name in well, well in an English manner, it sounds kind of terrible. Really? Like you know, like you Xiu Long, and I like if people don't really know how to speak Cantonese, they end up saying me like Xiu Long, and that's. Does it sound like something else? That sounds、Cantonese? like you know I was like being burned. Really? <laughs> like being burned, and、uh, like you know Xiu Long means like you know you overcook something, you know. Oh, I see. Sounds so terrible. Too long. Too long. <laughs> I I got burned. I got like you know overcooked. Are <laughs> <laughs>、right, we just gonna call you Alex for the yeah, sake of this interview? Yeah, just Alex. Why? So, um, who are you? Who are you for the people who don't know? Can you introduce yourself? Well, I'm Alex. Well, I mean everyone knows me about me being a DJ, and somebody know me since like when I was doing sound art. But like some of, like you know, some people who know me for years, like maybe knowing me since, like when I was studying my、um, music degrees, I was like actually I was a composer as well. So like, I think like I, I think like I'm still consider myself a musician. Like not sure about、uh, I'm not gonna use the word like you know composer or sound artist anymore because like I feel like. Those are very old school way to you know refer me now you、mm. know but I think like well just Alex I did I did sound I did music I did uh some weird shit and I also well basically like you know I you know now I'm actually also like a researcher、mm -hmm. in school of creative media in CTU so I. Uh, my research、uh, area is also about music, but I'm focusing on、um, the、uh, the the surgeons, well, surgeons or、uh, the deconstructed club music as、mm. well. But I'm also looking into、uh, Hong Kong club scene, underground club scene,、mm -hmm. which is part of my research.、Mm -hmm. We're gonna talk on deconstructed club music. Oh yeah, that's a topic. A that's a big topic. That's a big topic. Yeah, yeah. but.、Uh, What about your undergrad and and、um, your schooling before? Well, like、um, I did my well, I'm just like most Hong Kong people. I did my secondary school in Hong Kong,、uh, in a pretty bad school actually, low tier school, and then I end up getting fucked up with my、uh, exams and stuff. Eventually, I got myself into doing.、Um, A diploma at the Baptist University. So the diploma is like a two year, two years program for、uh, those who graduate from middle schools.、Oh, okay. So、um, after I finished my diploma, I got back into the same university,、mm -hmm. the same、uh, the same department in music. So. Basically, I spent almost like five years back then, like studying at Baptist University in music.、Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, you can count that to be like classically trained, you know, musicians or compo composers or whatsoever. So I was classically trained. At that stage, were you also growing up playing、uh, the piano or? No, I only played the violin.、Um, This was my niche, I would say, but I guess、um, I was like kind of like still like 
searching for the stuff that I was like, you know, been you know looking into, especially in music. So I was trying to play uh, the baroque violin. Mm-hmm. I was interested interested in Asian classical music, but I was also interested in music composition. So it makes me to decided which road I'm gonna take. Uh, at the final year when I was doing my uh, bachelor degree, so I decided to go for com- music composition instead. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that time, like to do music composition, will probably make me a cooler person <laughs> than like playing the baroque violin, you know. And you also incorporate some of that violin playing in, into your current set, right? I'm still playing the violin. There was a time, like still, like after well, well, at least like for a few years before. Doing my PhD, I was actually having a long period of time that I was a freelance violin teacher mm-hmm. and also like a music theory teacher. Mm-hmm. It was like across since I I was studying my music degree until I go into um uh study abroad and after I came back I, I did a lot of stuff but end up I was end up being a freelance violin teacher as well <laughs> like it was a period because there's there's some kind of like a safe zone for us in one day if I can't really think what I'm gonna do maybe I just go back to teach violin <laughs> oh that's like what you're gonna fall back on that's your fallback plan. yeah that was that mentality of people who study music yeah 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 and uh, so I, I, I wanted to also mention Goldsmiths, the masters that you have from yeah. there, right? And that's in? That's in 2014 and f- to 15. I, uh, that was like one year after I graduated from my bachelor degree. Mm-hmm. And the questions you want to ask is like, why do I go there study, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a long story, actually. Okay, condense it. <laughs> well, let, let me try. Like, so basically... Um, I after I graduated uh, from Baptist, I tried to, well, persuade a, a career as a composer because I was studying uh, as a composer. I studied compositions anyway. So, but like somehow, um, I feel like you know the environment I was you know living in Hong Kong is kind of hostile for people who are trying to become a composer, right? Mm-hmm. And and also it's a very small scene and it's so competitive. And also like people-wise, like especially for music composition, it's all condensed into just a few hundred people that you almost met every concert, mm-hmm. every like circumstances. And they are all controlled by some sort of like a, a, a guild, like a, a, like a society. So, oh my God, it's all like, there's a lot of, I would say like, I won't say politics, but more like a lot of um, interest where mm. people are fighting for their own interest in things and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was difficult. And I, at that time, I was lucky because I, uh, there was like a, a youth uh, composers compos- uh, competitions in Hong Kong where I, I, I got, I wrote in and then I got a first prize. I thought that was that might be like a stepping stone for me to actually to maybe I should think about to do uh, an MFA in music composition further. But I will I would like to stay in Hong Kong. So I that time in two thousand fifteen, uh, sorry two thousand thirteen, I was actually applied both uh, CUHK and Hong Kong U in the in the music composition program, and unfortunately I didn't get both school. Mm-hmm. They they reject my application. Both school reject my uh, you know applications, and I was like, oh my god, well, what the hell I'm gonna do? Mm-hmm. And then like, there was a time, okay, let's maybe I should think about maybe I should go overseas anyway, mm-hmm. and go overseas is actually very expensive yeah. as well. So what I'm gonna do like so there was a time like I tried to apply a scholarship uh, from the cash. Yeah, you know, cash uh, composers and the uh, composers and all the society of Hong Kong, and yeah. then like, hey, they they gave me a scholarship. Okay. To 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 do study abroad, so hey, why not? And then like, I was choosing in between like, you know, University of Birmingham and Goldsmiths, and I was like, hey, I just want to go to London and see what's going on there. Nice. So I decided to you know study at Goldsmiths. So basically, that's the reason why I end up in Goldsmiths. 
Okay, nice. So that's actually an alternative route for anybody who might be looking for a scholarship to get one from cash. Because is that uh, unusual for them to give scholarships like that? Well, the thing is, I was in a kind of like prestige um, position to apply for the scholarship because that scholarship only for people who study music. And usually classical music. Not usually electronic. classical music. Yeah. And then I, I was like trying to like, you know, talk over to the person at cash saying like, I'm just doing, you know, some, you know, music creative stuff, but still music program because like, you know, they only sponsor people who study music as well. And, and my program that I did at Goldsmith still uh, under the music department. Mm. So like everything I fall in, in the category, in the, but like it which allows me to, you know, just do things that more like obscene that were not done in Hong Kong before. Mm-mm. Yeah. Okay, so fast forward to now, you are doing research on Deconstructed Club. How does that, the world of academia, respond to, to your research topic and um, what department does it fit into in, in that world? Well, it's, I think it's too early to say because like, um, I think like for at least like for the last 20 years or 10 years at least, like there's been like a growing interest in the academias on um, the EDM culture, the, the nightlife scene. And EDM for everyone listening is electronic dance music. Yeah, electronic dance music culture, but in academic, like they shop from EDMC, electronic dance music culture. Mm-hmm. They really like, you know, they really like have a growing, a growing interest, like looking into what EDM culture is about. Mm-hmm. And I think like my topic is already seems to be a bit, a little bit too, advanced and too niche mm-hmm. in in terms of the you know the things that they're going on because like when I was looking into like EDMC you know culture and then those kind of studies like they only like start going uh, uh, looking into social medias and also like internet platforms that like, going on just within the last few uh, last 10 years and and a lot of time like the, the ideas that they were Think about EDMC culture is has a lot of do with you know genres. Mm-hmm. Has a lot of do with um, underground culture, and that has a lot of do with um, how people differentiate themselves from you know the mainstream. Yeah. So they really took that uh, direction, and then also a lot of like focus on drug usage, drug culture, and also like, the history of uh, the EDM. Uh, electronic dance music, the history, like you know how things develop. So, would you say they're less interested in mainstream dance music and uh, what people might call IDM, like intellectual dance music? I think like or or, or or more IDM, I would say. I think like you know there was actually less interested in IDM. That's for sure because I feel like there's a kind of like interesting paradoxes. Like they actually pay a lot of attention to mainstream EDM culture, but they don't really have much to say about the niche stuff avant-garde stuff and then the more experimental stuff because like I think like especially the underground experimental music there have been some research done on it is there's like a um, difficulty to actually define the research subject you know mm. experimental what do you mean by experimental mm-hmm. and then what kind of like you know context does it mean by experimental mm-hmm. and the whole studies of experimental music in in academia actually um, more leaning toward the sound studies yeah that's what I was going to say there's a legacy of experimental music and avant-garde music in academics academics but probably less so for electronic avant-garde like I'm, I'm thinking of people like john cage and yeah um i don't know raymond scott all these electronic yeah. the bob moog yeah but less so when you think of it in the context of i don't know 2009 and after even so. effect trees are being you know yeah. not properly researched i think yeah yeah so let's 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 go to your creative process to talk micro and then macro what is your creative process like and and how does that how does a song come about do you use traditional methods to to come up with song structure melodies etc well this is a i'm still kind of like looking you know the way that how i do music you know some from time to time is that um i have um kind of like you know creative rush 
that going on in my head mm-hmm. that I feel like you know I I always like you know waiting or maybe not. Wow, that sounds kind of terrible to wait for a moment to you know to rush that creativity. You know mm-hmm. <laughs> that like for me like TKO like the the last EP I did like two years ago was actually coming from that rush. Mm-hmm. So it's like a period of time I was kind of like super creative, and then like just within two months I um complete everything's. For the EP that I feel like you know that's the thing I want to present, mm-hmm. and from that creative rush in between that period, I was like kind of like low energy, not sure what you know what kind of stuff I'm gonna do. Maybe I should try to you know doing some more side project or maybe trying to collab with somebody, but uh, like it ended up like periodic. Oh shit! I spilled my water. It's okay. Many things have been spilled in this room before. Oh yeah, for <laughs> sure. So basically, like you know, creative-wise, I always you know leaning toward that you know moment where I'm having a rush for you know that you know creativity. That's when you strike. You have like a moment of genius or a moment of lucidity. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so that TKO project from 2018, which everyone can check on Spotify. It it was it was completed in two months during that that type of period. Yeah, I think it was completed in that summer, like around well, actually three months or maybe like you know from June to August somehow that period, like you know when I was like kind of like uh, not thinking about like what I'm gonna do, so let's do something, you know. Yeah. That kind of you know moment or that kind of status. Yeah. Yeah. So for people who might not be. On um, on the wavelength of deconstructed music, um, some people might see your elements of techno, electronic. I, I hear a lot of video game soundtrack influence <laughs> in it. I don't know if that's if that's uh, on purpose or not. And then of of course classical, like your background. Um, can you briefly explain for people who are not familiar what is this? What is this deconstructed club music? Or maybe maybe start, what is club music? If we want to start really rudimentary, what is club music and what is deconstructed club music? Well, well, before we talk about deconstructed club music, we definitely want, want to talk about what club music. The thing is, it's so weird. is like, you know, you don't really have seen people talk about or they use the word club to call club music before, like they would call it dance music, right? Yeah. And... Or even I think disco like disco before yeah, that. Yeah, disco and even EDM, like electronic dance music, but not electronic club music, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, uh, the 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 appearance of club music, the, the the word club has to do with like some uh, American subculture where like you know Baltimore club and Jersey club, those kind of music, you know, they coming from that period of time. I I think it was like late nineties or nineties, like you know, you have Jersey club mm-hmm. and also Baltimore club. Yeah. And so, like, they are the probably like some earlier, you know, pioneer using the word club, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in that in that sense. But eventually, like, especially around like two ten, people start picking up the word club in I think UK, but also New York. To to like there was like um a labels like um fate to mind and nice slugs mm-hmm. back then, they was doing some kind of like dance music that uh which is like you know they never really like you know bother to uh to put a name tag or genre to call the music, and I, they even like call they even have a very famous um series of EP called the club construction thing, and then like you know construction and club like you know they use the terms extensively to call like you know those beat, uh, kind of like materials for the club uh, the dance floor as club, and I think like you know that's the time when around two ten early two ten to maybe two thousand twelve two thousand thirteen, uh people start picking the usage of club, and then also you have people in New York like you know. Ghetto Gothic, like you know, Total Freedom. Those people, like, they've been throwing a lot of like rave underground uh, parties with, with uh, primarily focus in uh, LGBTQs and also like black and brown community in New York. And a lot of document, a lot of people been talking about how Total Freedom's you know DJ because he the way that he DJs has nothing to do with you know. Um, Styles, not really, not no style, but like more like he's really just you know 
put everything, you know, just whatever throw anything that he likes, you know, to the dance floor. Mm-hmm. That kind of attitude, mm-hmm. like you know. He really like you know goes with the flow instead of like you know sticking around with like certain kind of genre In or rules, yeah. and stuff, and that has a huge influence on the 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 dance floor or the club culture uh in the two tens because like, I think like there's a lot of people start picking up or maybe they uh, subconsciously got you know the same kind of like phenomenon like you know they they're not really concerned about like you know the the genres or, or things that they're gonna put onto the floor but they're really trying to play good stuff good music and that kind of energy and then eventually like maybe the two things met at some point maybe in Europe or maybe in you know like big cities like you know London, Berlin and even New York and and it kind of like became some sort of like a new phenomenon and then also like at the same time by the end of 2000, at the last decade, by the end of millenniums, we have SoundCloud and Bandcamp, mm-hmm. like these kind of platforms like surging on the internet. And then it became more important that like, people picking up this platform to share music mm-hmm. and then to stream music. And eventually like a lot of people, there was a time you have a lot of like subcultures, online subcultures going on. Like you have the witch house, you have the PC music, you have, uh, some weird like sea punk like you know yeah. what kind of like the names like it's so weird but like there's a lot of like subculture things or even vaporwave going on on the internet kind of a democratization of yeah of the sounds and then, yeah exactly so these kind of things going on and it, it kind of like you know creates some sort of like pre you know prelude of what's going on in the two tens because like there's like a um the whole the palette of sound that are available to the producers are so phenomenal is also so infinite you know mm-hmm. people can just they can start experimenting with all kind of weird sound to create some new weird uh, club beats that nobody would ever listen to yeah, in the past and then it became such a trend and also globalization where people who are Doing this kind of stuff is not only coming from Europe on yeah. America, but they could actually people in Beijing, Shanghai, Japan, Taipei, and even like I think there's I know it's like Slickback, you know, he's from Africa, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, and also in Latin America. Yeah, like, everywhere. So basically the ease of the barrier of entry is no more. Yeah. As far as uh, spreading what you made that day even can be uploaded that night and you can have thousand likes by the time you go to sleep. Um, for you as a classically trained musician, how do you balance like these new methods of, of deconstructed club, which is post, post-modern, if you will, with everything you learned classically? Do they, do they clash? Are they in harmony? Or? Well, I think, like, I think it's like uh, complex for me. When I was like a teenage... Um, I spent most of my time listening to classical music. Mm-hmm. And then like after I graduated uh, from my degree, I was actually trying to rec- recover from that, you know, trauma. Ah. <laughs> is it is it uh, listening to classical is it traumatic? Well, it's you know, somehow like, you know, it was part of me growing up. Yeah. As a teenage, like, you know, listening to just only, you know, classical music. Mm-hmm. But at one point, I feel like I was kind of disconnected from the culture, from the pop pop culture in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to pick up the, the culture so badly after I graduate. And then, like, I feel like the, the moment that I went study at Goldsmiths, like, I was like, I, I actually rethink a lot, like, tradition or what what is the western music tradition is about Mm -hmm. to look back into the things that i've learned to look back into my own tradition maybe like let's say chinese music because like my mom was a traditional chinese opera singers to look back to my mom's culture Mm -hmm. and eventually like i feel disconnected by both culture classical or even chinese traditional culture because like Okay, so when I was in, in school, I got exposed to, you know, Chinese music history and stuff. But I don't really find any, you know, connection whatsoever, like, to those tradition. Like, you know, I don't 
grown up listening to those kind of stuff anyway. But like classical music, I feel like I was being forced, or maybe like I forced myself to classical music, mm. and I enjoyed it. But I feel like I was being taken, you know, mm. taken like something out of myself, like you know, some original self, like you know, from listening to that kind of music because I'm still listening to music of like you know the same old master who died like three hundred years ago, you know, that kind yeah. of feeling. Yeah, and. Okay, so like the the moment when I go back to music, that I after I finish my degrees in sonic art, I, I start making sound art. But oh my god, that is that's even worse. Like you know, talking about art making, but I'm not gonna go into it. So basically, like you know, I was trying to go back to music after I I'm done with sound art, mm-hmm. and and I think like you know the moment that I try to learn how to make you know club music, learn how to make. It's actually trying to de-learn the stuff that I learned in the right, past. You right. know, I try to ah, oh, just you know, ah, oh, don't. I'm not gonna care about like you know those counterpoint harmonies, and I'm still using those kind of stuff. These those are tools, but not in the way that I you know that you that learned it. I learned it. You know, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it seems that there's always this question of you can't break the rules unless you know them. So I think. While you say you know you were kind of held hostage by classical music early on, I think underneath, maybe subconsciously, it does inform you breaking those rules. Well, there's no rule be broken. I mean, but the thing is, like you know, there's some kind of like a subconscious going on. There's one track I did called "The Velo Room" that I was actually using a very a very common minimalist technique when I was doing the music. I was talking like a Bit of like a repetitive pattern, and I kind of like you know keep, you know, f- you know repeating the the thing, and I, I, and then I get another part going in, and then I kind of like a face shifting a little bit, kind mm. of like you know minimalist, you know, kind of thing going on, and then I every part of the music is is divided from the same motif. That is it know, like an ostinato, like an ostinato, more like you know motif, motific, mm. you know, development in the music. So basically, the and then I ship and then like ship one beat and then ship one beat those okay. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, this sounds kind. Of, it makes me sounds kind of like you know intellectual, but like you know just <laughs> like you know, people been doing this in the in the seventies anyway. But like there was something that I was like trying to investigate to see how uh, are there any like you know things that I could use to put into like contemporary music composition technique into mm-hmm. club music mm-hmm. and and. I feel like you know when I start to make club music, I actually learn learn a lot of new things, or maybe to re- or it reminds me a lot of things that I learned in the past, but that I forget, or maybe I just put it into my you know brain because like club music is basically electronic music. Yeah, and electronic music you have. To a lot of like different kind of like you know criterias like you have to think about like you know the timber you have to think about you know you know frequencies and you know kind of stuff and those kind of things that I used to learn in the school even when I was doing my sonic art degree like but like those are a lot of things that um I kind of like you know I wasn't oh let me let me let me admit I wasn't an electronic music person yeah. before I go into you know electronic music so I never really re- I never really think I would actually doing electronic music because like hell no I was playing the violin how am I gonna you know become an electronic musician so speaking of that criteria do you feel like uh, deconstructed has that same criteria where deconstructed musicians or producers kind of strive for uh, like a certain intellectualism when it comes to production and composition. And it, it, I guess it, it lends itself to, you can, some might say it's like elitism when it intended to be something that was a counter to the EDM scene that was, that, that uh, many, you know, black and queer and Latinx people didn't fit in. Do you feel like there's people who make, experimental deconstructed for the sake of it being experimental mm, that's a big question but like I feel like there, there's two part of the question is that I feel like the first about talking about the intellectualism in you know electronic music I think it's it's always there since like you know the time when you know 
when they were doing IDM and maybe even like earlier stuff, like even in experimental, you know, electronic music scene, like, you know, but like, you know, we have to really see like, you know, what kind of people, I would say like, you know, during the time, like, you know, those people who are actually doing this kind of, you know, intellect, intellectualization of, you know, experimental or electronic music was predominantly white people mm. and that's what that was I that's that's what I experienced when I when I was in UK because like oh I went to like you know one experimental music show and uh, oh my god all white people wait I'm in London right no I thought there was like you know quite a lot of like you know black people or brown people living in London but like you know why is like all white people in in cafe auto so yeah. I just realized like experimental music or you know it's quite white in a sense. A bit yeah, the the IDM is a bit of a chin Even, stroking. Yeah, white IDM crowd. is also quite white in a sense. And the way they it try to intellectualize, you know, the music is I don't know, like to to reinforce the like, you know, the the power, the dynamics to allow them Absolutely. to actually have more say to uh, on the music. Yeah, you, um, you can't sit at this table. You don't fit. This doesn't fit. That doesn't fit these rules. It doesn't fit this BPM. Yeah, exactly. Like like EDM culture and see like you know like you know DJ culture, especially ones like you know being appropriated by you know white people. Oh my god, like techno purist. Like why like you know what the hell like people start calling themselves like a techno purist or purist techno or whatever like you know. Like I thought that was like coming from like black culture and back back in the time there was playing funk music with beats and stuff, experimental with stuff like even like if you like go to like you know one gig with underground resistance they're still like you know doing a live set with a lot of like live live instrument going on whatsoever like you know they're still like you know pushing the sound but then like you, you end up having like you know most predominant white people yeah. like you know listening to like you know I don't know deep techno or whatever you call it like the same beat like yeah that's a, that's a big issue with everything happening in the states especially now with the the erasure of um, of black artists uh, in these art forms, yeah, and that's exactly. a, that's that's a huge discussion. We won't get totally into that. Yeah, we can't get into it. That, like you know, but the things about like you know LGBTQ culture or maybe like you know brown and black people in the constructor club music, and I do see uh, that has to do with how a lot of those people being marginalized, you know, in the club scene in the you know in the music culture and then they are really striking for to make their own space you know within this culture by pushing the sound you know to um a certain um well i would say like you know experiment experiment or maybe try to um to explore mm -hmm. like the ways the, the expressions expression like, yeah because like you know um it, it is not that they couldn't like you know fit in into techno scene but the thing is like this is not that kind of sound or maybe this is not that kind of expression they're looking for right yeah. and well let's say okay techno used to be black and now becomes so white and then you like putting a, a black DJ to do techno now and then it became kind of like disconnected somehow like yeah. you know and then, like maybe they 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 have better things to do instead of the whitewashed, you know, techno, right? And then if you put like black artists to play techno, but in the styles of the white kind of techno, that's a bit tokenism. Yeah, that's become a tokenism. Yeah. It's basically people who are pushed to the margins because they feel like they didn't have a space. And then once they get their th their own thing going on, then like capitalism comes around, like, hey, what you got over here? And then they kind of lose their identity again. And then repeat, you know, yeah, watch exactly. it to repeat. Um, which, which actually brings me to my next topic. How do you feel about the current intersection of pop and club music? We have we have a lot of artists on the the top forty Billboard charts, if you will, um, who've really embraced this deconstructed sound, such as Charlie XCX or Sophie. You can probably hear at majority of fashion shows right now, where this used to be this really uh, kind of uneasy listening experience it's you, you can hear it now in a lot of pop productions what do you feel about that this is really just a question of some sort of like whether there's an egg or whether there's a chicken first some kind yeah. of questions like you know 
because eventually, like, I feel like this really depends on how we see, like, those um, fashion shows or pop culture as some form of, like, capitalist or maybe some sort of, like, industry thing that are they going to be taking advantage of this form of, like, underground movement or not? But eventually there's, you know, there's, there's just, uh, like, a repetition of the history, like, you know, history been doing the same thing with, like, punk culture, with, um, like, you know, uh, street culture and all the culture in the back, they're all, like, being recouped back into, you know, the pop culture, which, which served the, the industry where, like, as some sort of, like, maybe appropriation or maybe, like, in a form of, like, capitalism, I would say. There's, I feel like there's not, especially in, the, like, such a, liberal society there's no one gonna stop it from you know you stealing my underground culture or whatever but they already like you know like get inspired by it or whatever and for some artists like you know, let's say Charlie XCX she actually does work with those PC music guys mm-hmm. so and yeah and that's how you know things get big and the sounds get more phenomenal because of some key figures in the game to promote the sound mm-hmm. and Sophie or Arca like you know those people who who like before they famous they been like working with like big names like Kanye West or Madonna mm-hmm. like those people and I think like there's always like uh, things with underground scene or culture like you know maybe a generation thing like but I feel like it's kind of like the, the effect of generation is diminishing in in this kind of like view or subfield of the, the culture because I feel like even that like maybe they're using TikTok or not but a lot of stuff when things happen on the internet are really bound by the, the, the convergence of things that like people just share things on internet and it became such, you know, uh, a huge, you know, hot mess of, you know. Yeah, once you release something, you have really no control over what Yeah, happens. there's no, no control of things on the internet whatsoever. Like, and, and a lot of these companies have young interns who are working for directors and they're like, oh, check this out. And like, oh, yeah. okay, that's what's hot. Yeah, and I feel like, I've, I'm not, sh- like, you know, is it like, are we saying like the future is screamed or, or are we suggesting? I think it's hopeful. I mean, I'd like to think so. Yeah, I feel like, you know, but the, the moment is like, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of time, like, we seems to, like, trying to push the society into some sort of, like, a, a, a anti-capitalist or, like, you know, a socialist, you know, kind of thing. But it, it seems like it never happens in a sense. It really pushing forward then, like, you know, I feel like, you know, somehow as someone grown up in Hong Kong, but n- until now, I feel like, you know, most of the stuff I read on Facebook are American politics. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, like... Well, I think it's just a matter of exploitation. And I guess, I mean, people say cultural appropriation. I think the better term for it is economic accreditation, if you will, um, where a lot of things are made by those people on the margins and they never they never get the the um, due credit for it. So I think yeah. that's what rubs people the I wrong way. I feel like, you know, this is an ethical, ethnic, ethical question. Like, yeah. like, you know, we see like, you know, we always happen like, you know, appropriation or maybe like be someone, you know, artwork being taken by some famous designer and mm-hmm. then like without credit, re- yeah. without credit. And, oh my God, like, that is a, like a, uh, I don't know, like, you know, I've been following like, you know, like, you know, uh, Diet Prada. Oh, I've heard about that just like a week on, a few on weeks Instagram. Ago. Yeah, and uh, literally every designers, everything they be putting on on the on the runway, are uh, almost like you know hundred percent appropriation of things that in the past. Yeah, that's actually like oh I don't even know how to deal with it because like that's almost like part of the culture, right? Mm. Yeah, like, there there are no new ideas. Like things are being appropriate and like or maybe like drum and bass you know the same you know almond almond brick and being reused throughout the period and then it's like oh my god I actually read about the fate of the drummers who did the almond brick and then he ended up dying on the street 
But I actually, I read actually the other day that they did some type of crowdfunding yeah, for him. I don't know how much yeah, he raised. Yeah, I think end, he after he he passed away. Uh, maybe just like for that. his family. Yeah, and then I feel like a bit sorry about like that guy. And I think it's like you know, sampling culture is really like nowadays is. Uh, everyone sample the thing is, but then like you know, not everyone got paid by the sample they use. Yeah, of course. Sampling and copyright—that's a whole nother issue. But if you do, I mean, I would say if you do make a hit, and this is for you as well, if you make a hit and you use the sample in it, it's probably right to pay some some percentage of publishing. Yeah, it, I think it does. But I, I feel like you know, it's really like you know, as I, well, everyone knows the 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 the, the industry. They have a proper procedure of like you know sample cleansing or like they call it like some sort of like a surface people they can to replay to use and then to try to hire like a lawyer to like yeah, list out yeah. all the like samples he used and try to claim you know how yeah. much percentage goes into the uh, copyright thing and then I feel like you know uh, particularly with you know pop culture is copyright in pop culture is such a huge mess and then I think like in Hong Kong and consensus is not really that established yet mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Especially dealing with this kind of like um, copywriting with sampling culture because like well, well there's like people doing hip hop or maybe like lo-fi things in Hong Kong, but not like they're big enough to really like. Yeah, we're talking about a postmodern form where most people aren't making hits, no. and you know their thing is just on SoundCloud with less than a thousand. Yeah. So that's yeah. I want to talk about your DJ sets though. Oh, okay. Um, what is your approach when you're preparing for a given evening such as last Friday? Are you trying to take the crowd on a journey? Are you trying to to um, kind of just play bangers that you've downloaded <laughs> in the last like few weeks? Are you trying to challenge the audience? Like what is the approach? Well, the thing is like there's like, like a give and take when I'm DJing in a certain specific theme, you know, event. Like like the last DJ I did was like an LGBTQ event. And then I was thinking, who I'm gonna like play next after me, and who's pl- playing before me, and I definitely wanted you know to to bring more like you know spice to the dance floor, but not this time, like not last time, like for the LGBTQ party because like because like I know the one the guy who played after me is Kelvin, <laughs> Kelvin T. Where you at, Kelvin T? <laughs> and then you know like Kelvin's you know um. DJ style is like very typical chaotic good. Yeah. Like, you know, chaotic but good. He challenges his audience for sure. And he's really challenging the audience. And I like, you know, for me, uh, before like Calvin, I have to make sure like the audience are dancing and staying at the dance floor to build up uh, energy for for Kevin T to take over. Mm, okay. So you're playing like the role of kind of an opening DJ and thinking of your set in the context of the whole night. Exactly, like okay. you know, I feel like um, you know, as a DJ, like like uh, different DJs have a different approach. But for me, like I do read the dance floor. Yeah, Kelvin uh, T, you listening? Alex died for your sins. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd read the dance floor to see how they react to the music and to see how, like you know. Um, how the yeah people react to the music and to mm-hmm. actually to see how am I gonna to sp- kind of like spice it up, you know the dance floor, mm-hmm. and yeah this is like sometimes like you have a night when you have like four DJs and then if you have the middle one there's the things that you have to think oh who's before me so there was like you know the voguing mm-hmm. um, competition or voguing yeah. performance before me so and I have to maintain the energy after that kind of like high, high, you know hype moment yeah, and yeah, absolutely yeah and I couldn't I couldn't like that at the same time I couldn't like you know torn, torn trying to put too much uh, exotic shit on the dance floor <laughs> because like people are gonna get scared immediately yeah. so I have that last time my 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 tactic is trying to be, um, I won't say mass appeal, but it was actually kind of mass appeal, but more like to 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 try not to kind of hold steady. Yeah, to kind of hold the line. Yeah, I feel you. 
Um, we have about 10 more minutes and I have about sure. three or four more questions. So let me kind of race through these. I'm going to pivot to your work as a curator. You did just across the hall from us here. Oh, yeah. Um, you did an exhibition at Tomorrow Maybe uh, last October. It was October. actually my first time being a curator. Yeah, entitled Play, Boredom, Worship. Yeah. And like, what was the theme and focus behind that? And, and just reflecting on that, how did... You select the artists. I'm sure they were all your friends. Yeah. And what was the brief that you gave them to make it a cohesive show? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I just like throw the ball out of the ground, out of the field, and then let them play around with the ball. <laughs> Maybe that's the best analogy. Because like I was like I was working for, I was working as a sound artist for a period of time. And I experienced like working with a curator where like, you know, just being to create some sort of like a work being put into the context. Mm -hmm. It's not really work for me. Mm -hmm. And then I realized like if I'm gonna like do some like create a very specific topic for the artist to create some very specific work mm -hmm. out of the topic, it's not gonna work. Though the artworks will probably end up kind of crap. Yeah. And I just like just trying to like the way I, I put my artistic you know the the, the curatorial statement is very open and I just try to you know kind of like a give them like a blank bank check just let them to fill in the blank to see how they you know put in you know to things into practice and stuff and I think like when I was like as a curator during the show I was more concerned about is to set up you know, the technicality aspect of the show to make sure the wall is built, to make sure the space is, you know, well managed and to make sure they, they are not like, to make sure that things are putting well together, mm -hmm. to try to work with the artists to make sure the things is... That uh, they get everything that they need and yeah, exactly. proper presentation. Yeah, yeah. because like, I, at that moment, I feel like the, the statement is already not the most, it's not the Im most important thing anyway. It's only just some sort of what is the analogy for like facilitator? Or yeah, a facilitator. Yeah, you know. So those artists who are more visual artists, as well as uh, your musical peers, uh, what is the how? How would you define this generation of of all those artists in you know music and visual arts and fashion, if you will? Or how would you describe these this generation of Hong Kong artists in twenty twenty right now? Well, I mean, like is. So that was anyway, like, you know, they're already doing different kind of stuff. And maybe like, I feel like I'm not, not a kid anymore. Like I'm 30 years old and then going to be 30 year, 31st years old this year later. And I won't say I have seen enough though, but like, I feel, I feel like, you know, people does have a, I don't want to be so specific about that kind of energy, but should I say it more chaotic? Mm -hmm. Not sure about like the term, but I feel like there's some sort of like a very you know chaotic energies going on in Hong Kong. Uh, Born uh, out of, hmm? what, what is what do you think? What do you think the roots of that are? Mm. Without maybe getting too specific. Mm. I don't know. Like, I do think like you know there's people who've been doing more like commercial stuff, and they're more fit, feeling uh, falling into that hipster ish kind of thing or maybe nostalgic or ontological we call it like you know uh, in academic words with like all the revival of the 80s and 19 stuff but we also see like some people are taking the more chaotic you know avant-garde way like putting shows online you know or maybe like some kind of like you know some 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 people call this post-internet because like you know, I don't know how they maybe they got influenced by three D aesthetic and you know chaotic subjects, chaotic objects, you know, vibrant color and stuff. I mean, but also maybe like politics, you know, also trying to be quite political in terms of form and styles. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like when we see things are being chaotic, is that chaotic means like the things are not being under controlled. And then also is a form of potentiality with things that are being chaotic. And then we also see like, you know, infinite possibilities in chaos, chaotic. And then I feel like which is actually a good thing because like you see energies in chaos. And I think this is what, you know, captures like a lot of, you know, people, you know, my 
work artworks or friends work that I that I know are working with and I'm not that I'm not as chaotic as them to be honest but like you know I feel like you know there's certainly some sort of like you know energies energies that like going on with young artists in Hong Kong mm-hmm. whether it's like um, a kind of like what's it called uh, like a like a research resourceful not resourceful but more like you know to be more uh, like like uh, you know de- defendants or like you know strong or like you know yeah whatever I, I can't I couldn't think of independent word. No. no not independence but more like energy where like you try to defend or maybe like you know try to re, re, re uh, respond okay ah, I see I see to kind of um, reinsert yourself and uh, like reestablish your identity in a way yeah definitely yeah, yeah. okay uh, so you wore a lot of hats you we just over the last hour we've talked about you as a composer as a teacher as a producer as a DJ is there like a common thread that ties all of these things together? And is there are there any other areas that you want to venture in? Do you want to like make a film or have a line of, of clothes or anything like that? Well, I'm pretty much happy about, you know, the things that I've been doing. Trying to make new music recently. And then like all the, the common theme of all these things is like, you know, trial and error. <laughs> or maybe like the, the what's it called? Like, you know, the failure of somebody, you know, trying to get a life. <laughs> you know, just the common frame of common people. So are there projects in the pipeline? Actually, yeah, I do think like, in, like, you know, this is a common theme in my life, whether I want to be a composer and then end up being a sound artist, but end up being like a crop music producer, but now being a, you know, researcher, because I, whenever I, you know, decide to do something, or whatever I change to do something, is the moment where I realize like, like the things or maybe the, the things or maybe like it's not really um, how can I say ideal or maybe like uh, people that I met in those places are not ideal mm-hmm. <laughs> like you you, you kind of like you know work yourself around with those things and people but the moment that I decided to change is I asked myself hey Alex are you still want to do that because like I feel like the moment if I'm gonna make a decision for my career is I think about, hey, am I, uh, am I gonna end up being a boring sound artist doing my work, presenting my work in an art gallery and then try to chit chat with those people, collectors and stuff. No, I don't want to be that kind of person, you know. It's so, you know, it's, it's almost like you're putting yourself into sort of like a reality situation to think about like what I'm gonna become if I'm gonna do that thing uh, on and on. Right. If you think about okay, so now I be I go back to become an academic, which is also actually not as idealistically. It's not that you know. It's not not. It's not much difference than maybe being uh you know a a, a contemporary artist. But I mean, like you know, at, at least like I try to put myself into the culture more like with more like in 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 line with people that I working on, especially with my own research mm-hmm. that focusing on. Uh, music and club culture and to be honest at this moment I realized okay there's never gonna be an ideal position right right yeah no matter you're a sound artist composers and there's always some kind of like a shit some kind of like you know people that you don't want to deal with yeah and maybe now in this moment of night trying to go back to into academic is that to to find the at least like to compromise or maybe to realize a position that that you don't suffer <laughs> as much as suffer the least suffer the least you yeah know? there's no ideal and you're always kind of fighting against this path that is kind of set out in front of you and maybe the easy path but not the desired path yeah I feel like you know a lot of you know a lot of people and there's so few people end up being someone like that they actually want to be exactly and yeah. Even like if you, you know, they will tell you like, you know, I'm just not only lucky, but I like putting a lot of hard work, you know, I've been like, you know, doing a lot of shit in their life. Yeah. And yeah, like, I guess there's no, 
there's never really a perfect circumstance for that. And yeah. I think the important thing is that you're close to it, and proximity to it matters. Whether you're on, you know, the side of it that you want to be or not, you're close to it, and it's still within reach. Whatever that final goal is. There's a, here's a question we asked. <laughs> this is kind of a lighthearted question we asked uh, Photon, Likey, and Kelvin. Mm-hmm. What's your exercise regimen? Exercise regimen. Yeah, you going to the gym? Yeah, I do. How often? Four times or five times a week, but depends on my energy because I, you know, I, I, I more like a you know gym rat, but like, you know, I will say like you know, like for like last week I was my energy was low mm-hmm. that I couldn't really like you know do much you know heavy lifting, mm-hmm. so I might just you know change doing some more light you know stuff in the gym. So are you more strict about your working on music? Or exercising? Well, I think like, you know, musically wise, I do, I mean, to be honest, I have to picking up my production skills because like I spend time watching a lot of YouTube tutorial mm-hmm. to watching people how to make music. Mm-hmm. But those kind of things always put me into a, a very difficult position. It's like, am I going to learn something from watching this video by making some kind of sound? Am I going to make use of those techniques? And and most of the time it ends up not you know I I end up not using those kind of thing in my in my music mm. and that's so weird like it happens and then like I'm just like you know you know maybe just spend like a week or two or, or month to focus on making music but like I feel like you know going to gym is just to make to make sure I'm alive mm-hmm. because I think like the moment that I establish that habit going on going to gym makes me a more stable person. Because like if I'm not gonna going to G and I probably suffer a lot from like mood swing, you know, making out of you know nowhere, not sure where I'm doing at it's, home. It's important then, yeah. It's and, part of the process, you can say. Yeah, it's part of the process, and and then like at the gym, I could just work out, and I feel better. And then you go and smash your keyboard just because you're so strong. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, at least like you know, I have the energy to do the things that I need to. Like you know, not I have to uh, feeling bad about that day and not doing anything at all. Yeah. That kind of moment. Thank you, Alex. No I problems. think that wraps up everything. Do you have any final shoutouts to anybody? Uh, any questions from the audience? No. Let me see. I don't know. We can check on Facebook real quick. Yeah. Thanks for watching. Yes, thank you everybody for watching. This will be on Mixcloud and Spotify within the week if you want to listen back. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's it. Are you playing anywhere in the next couple of weeks that you can promote? Uh, frankly, no. I think like, you know, I don't think there's any gigs. Are you promising an album in 2020? Is it exclusive? I'm still deciding whether it's going to be in 2020 okay. or 2021. Okay. I think like you know, like you know, I'm still working on new materials. Yeah, it takes time. I understand. And it's kind of like you know, very you know, it's so different from what I did with my TKO. It sounds so different. Collaborating with anybody? Maybe I haven't, you know, really like because I'm so I'm still at that very you know early stages that I have sudden I have new ideas and new sound coming from myself. Mm-hmm new ideas that I I realized I could actually make some music out of it. Oh, okay. And that starts on the piano. Uh, it looks, no, looks like. it's a start. I'm doing a lot of it in my voice. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Which you haven't done before? No. Okay, so that's new. That's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I want to ask you real quick, what are some of some some movies that you might be watching now that inform your work? Wow, good questions. Like I never uh, f- films and books. Sorry, I never films really films. like a film buff myself. But like you know, from time to time, I always came across some classic movies. Like you know, I I actually like you know last year I watched you know Odyssey, two thousand one, and then like I do like you know the Blade Runner, the original. Oh, classic. And I f- I really want to look into more like the classic. Uh, violence type of thing that I really into like don't blame me but I really like Taxi Driver oh, <laughs> and I also really like the one with um um the, the soap thing 
Oh, Fight Club. Yeah, I like Fight Club, and I also like maybe I probably want to watch more Tarant uh Quentino films. Quentino, yeah. Because like. I don't know, like the way that how they portrayed violence is such amazing. It's like the most, the most calm and mild person, but really into violence. <laughs> yeah, and I really like the way they portrayed that kind of mentality. To see a person with the darkest eyes of the person. You have a dark side. <laughs> well, not really. Though I, I feel like everyone got their own dark sides, but they never really admi- admit it. I think I'm more like a revengeful person. A vengeful person. Revenge, okay. revengeful. Is it called revengeful? A vengeful. A yeah, vengeful. Like revenge oriented. Because like you know, I really hate the feeling of being cheated. The the moment like you being, the moment you you left alone for something that that feeling is really, is really like makes me feel uh, very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Kind of makes me kind of a vengeful. And does that come out in the music? Mm. Does it inspire uh, music? I think yes. The the the, the coming music I found it you know somehow a bit more like a vengeful. In the lyrics or in the sound? Both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Oh, is it not finished? Then the... no, we're we're still talking. Oh, yeah, because we talking. came back on. Yeah. Um, and then books that you might be reading. Oh, the books that I'm reading. Um, I mean, besides academic books, though. Um. Oh shit! What what books I was reading recently? I have already passed my prime time of reading books. I I used to read a lot when I was doing university, but now I read most of the books because of my PhD studies. Research, yeah. But I do think um, oh yeah, uh, I was actually reading um Sylvia Plath. Okay. And you know um the 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 po- but the poem collection called the um. The Aerials, mm-hmm. which is actually one of her last uh, collections of poet mm-hmm. po- poems. So I'm more a poetry person I than um, novel person. I don't yeah. I don't really like novels, but Fiction. I like poetry, yeah. fictions. Oh my god! I feel like you know whenever I read a fictions, oh come on, you spend like two pages just to describe the scene. <laughs> To go in and then to go into the dialogue and then I haven't really know what's going on with the stories, yeah. so I, it it kind of like makes me kind of like you know it's kind of like a turn off, but I poetry is more direct, the poetry is more like it can be it yeah, can I, be direct it could yeah. be also very descriptive but the thing is I enjoy reading those you know sentences the drum the drum in between sentences the yeah. flow and you know the way they describe things and and I learned a lot of like new vocabulary from reading poetries some poetries you know especially during the time like they use they really like to use some more like obscene works that not appears you know in but there are writers who write prose very poetically as well. Yeah, so. that's true. So yeah, I, I think I, I came across with uh, a black poet. Uh, I think he is like the 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 one who got the what is it called uh, the the Pulitzer Prize. Oh, who is it? Is Pulitzer, it? Uh, the Pulitzer Prize. Pulitzer Prize, but the, the, it... the new the new one, uh, and he's a queer poet. Oh, is James Baldwin? I think he's James Baldwin, but he's black, he's right? Yeah, he's past like. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, I think the what a uh, new one. He's black and he's queer, and he he wrote mm. a lot of like you know poetry on depicting you know queer gay, black experiences. Mm, yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm tr- also trying to think his name anyway. Oh, some Isumi asking me what's my favorite brand for clothes. <laughs> We'll put that. We'll find out that that poet and put it in the comments. And what we're gonna leave, we're gonna end on this. What is your favorite brand of clothes? Uh, I mean, Supreme. That's a lot, lot Joking. good brands. Supreme OGs. No, I mean, I do like a lot of Comme des Garçons, Homme de, but I'm also like also like Amazon Magiella. Oh, and you got, you got a budget, budget. I'm just. I like to look into those kind of stuff. Not like I have the money to spend on. That's one uh, street. If you talk about streetwear wise, I do like a streetwear called the Boot Boy Beat. They're really like you know hype up streetwear brands. Like you know they are very very interesting brand. They only like they have uh, like roll out every month. Mm-hmm. So like by the end of the month, uh, like the last week. But like whenever they roll out stuff, those stuff are all bootleg stuff. 
so basically they appropriate uh, not appropriate but more like they put philosophy uh, rare electronic music labels and some weird cultural shit and then like they put the coffers they put they took the awards and then they took the logos and they put onto the t-shirt and then it all sold up just within an hour and that goes back to the deconstructed because the deconstructed parties with the the ghetto goth um, ghetto gothic wasn't that wasn't the hood by air founder also one of the founders of of that party i think so yeah. it's like madness six if it's xx and, yeah, and uh, i forget the name of I the, the, name the other guy. one yeah but yeah it's all it's all connected all of yeah. these worlds are connected yeah but yeah everybody this is the real ending yeah see you on spotify mixcloud in person at the Margiela store. <laughs> There's one in 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 Jim's Joy though. The only Margiela store in Hong Kong. So oh. expensive though. I, uh, yeah. Ten people in at a, only ten people in at a time. Limit. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.